Amen. Well, this is disgusting. Um, I forgot my black binder at home, so someone was really kind enough to find a binder for me, but I just noticed that the binder they gave me has a dead fly in the... uh, Like being preserved, right? It needs a little pin on it. Wow, that is disgusting. Here. <laughs> right, what is he doing? Like, oh, there's a good place to go. Oh, wait, I can't get out. I've tried. <laughs> oh, man. Well, today we are talking about government and civil government. As you know, we've been going through the We Believe series. And these are all the things that we believe as a four-square church. And one of the things uh, we believe is um, in civil government and, and how to interact with civil government. And I have some specifics that I want to go through with that. But I um, kind of wanted to discover what I could from someone that maybe is in the government. So I had a meeting with Mayor Perry of Milton this last week. And what she began to speak to me and describe to me about what Christians can do and how Christians should influence their communities. Um, my One, it, it just really worked on my heart and who I am in my community. But two, I knew it was a message that needed to be shared. Uh, so I asked Mayor Perry if she'd be willing to give a few comments on Christians and our influence in the government. And she actually said yes. So it's an honor and a privilege to welcome Mayor Perry up to the stage. Thank you. So I should start with, I am going to refer to my notes um, to keep this short. And also to kind of, I'm going to start with this. Um, When I come to church, I am not the mayor. And so when people say, hey, mayor, I don't like that (laughs) because I'm one of you. I'm a Christian first. Amen. So... I'm often asked the question, why aren't Christians involved? And the way I see it is Christians are hesitant to get involved in government because they see it from the top down. They see what they see on TV. They see the president. They see the Congress. They see partisan wars. They see lying and backstabbing. And frankly, we can't see our place there. It's not it's not what Christians aim to be. So we remain silent and uninvolved, which I personally believe is exactly what the enemy wants. In my opinion, we should look at government from the bottom up, the way government was intended to be. We the people. The reason for cities and towns and not just states is to make it available for local people to be involved These are your neighborhoods, your cities, your state, your United States. It is very easy to be involved in government, but people don't understand how easy it is. One, every single solitary city, not just mine, 
you can go on the website and you can read the agenda. It'll take a few minutes out of your time, and I promise most of the time it will be boring. (laughs) But you will learn what is going on in your community. A lot of times we learn what's going on in our community after the fact. It's really hard to change things after the fact. And as an elected official, I really don't want to hear about it after the fact. (laughs) Um, In my city, we beg for people to be on our boards and commissions. The park board, which Kent is the chair of our park board, and the planning commission, they are not only a necessary part of government, but they're a legal requirement. Park board takes one hour a month. They discuss what's going on in our parks. So if you don't like your parks, maybe you should get on the park board. The planning commission. The planning commission takes a bit more time. But they will discuss everything from how large your lots should be in your city, what your sign codes are. They will discuss um, homeless encampments. Um, You name it. They can get quite in-depth. But again, it's a legal requirement, and they advise counsel. None of these bodies are decision-making bodies, but they are necessary for the advice to counsel. If you don't want to be that involved and you just read the agenda and you saw something that you had an opinion on, every single solitary council meeting, there is a citizen comment period. For three minutes, you get to go up to the podium and tell us anything you want. I'm going to tell you that 99% of the time, nobody is there. I was trying to do the math this morning in my own government, and I can't do it. I think it's less than 1%. We have public hearings. Public hearings are also a legal requirement. If you don't like the way government's spending money, read the budget and comment on it. Once a year, there's a public hearing on the budget. That's where you give your permission. You turn your rights over to government and say, spend what you want. Nobody is ever there. We have public hearings on leash laws. We have public hearings on marijuana. We have public hearings on how high your property taxes should be. Again, it is staggering what the percentage would be that nobody ever comes. And so, honestly, folks, when there's a marijuana retail store next to your business, there was nothing we could do. The other part of this is, I'm going to speak to the frustration. Um, I'm going to go back to the top. When you are involved at a local level, you know your elected officials. You also know who's up and coming and who wants to get involved. You know what the issues are. I have watched really good Christian people lose their offices because it wasn't a popular or because it is a popularity contest. In our district alone, um, in our representatives who are represented, well, I'm talking about Milton Edgewood is, is a different section, so I'll talk to that a little bit. Um, hard to compete with Federal Way. Anybody in Federal Way is well known and they get voted into office and seldom based on the issues. These people, some of the people that frustrate us the most, I have watched them ascend upward because nobody was watching. Nobody had any idea what they said or what they believed in, and they were voted into office. Next thing you know, they're running for president. 
And we're all shocked. How did this happen? Just double checking to make sure I covered everything. Mostly what I want to leave you with this morning is it's a lot easier to be involved in government than you think. If I were to walk around the room with all the cities that are represented here, Edgewood, Milton, Fife, Puyallup, Sumner, all over the place, and asked you one question, what form of government do you have? 99% of you couldn't answer it. It's an important issue because you voted it in. Lastly, I'm going to speak on this. Pray. Thank you, Jesus. I talk with Dan a lot. I am met with the enemy daily. I couldn't do this job without praying. Absolutely could not do this job without praying. I have been very blessed, and God has surrounded me with Christians. I didn't pick them. He sent them to me, and I am grateful. I'm going to ask for your prayer. I'm going to ask you to pray for your cities. Ask you to pray for your electeds and get involved. Amen. Thank you. Isn't that good? So she was speaking those things. She was just speaking right to me. Thank you so much. You know, I got some things to do. <laughs> got to figure out what we're doing these days in unincorporated King County. Mm. So let's read this together. It's our declaration of faith. We believe that the civil government is of divine appointment for the interest and good order of human society and that governors and rulers should be prayed for, obeyed and upheld at all times, except only in things opposed to the will of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the ruler of the conscience of his people, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So that's what we believe as a four-square church. And I love it. I, I love this topic. I, I'm really excited about preaching on this topic because civil government, it affects all of us, right? All of us are citizens of the United States. We're all in the same state and many of us are in the same city. Our relationship, our interaction with the government, it matters, don't you think? And I hope that we understand that today. And again, I'm so thankful that Mayor Perry was able to once again just stir that up again. That, hey, by the way, park board guy, awesome, Kent. Way to go. Two points. <laughs> so this is what we believe. And, and how we're to engage in the topic matters. And because of its importance, I, I really am eager, eager to dive into the Word of God. So I want to I just hit some of the more uncomfortable things right away. Um, in this room, there are differing viewpoints in the area of politics. Um, if you didn't think so, you just got to get over it. There are different viewpoints in the area of politics. One of the freedoms that we have as Americans, one of the freedoms and the rights we have is to vote for whoever we wish to see in office, whether it be our mayor, our governor, our president. And because of that freedom, we don't all vote for the same candidates. I'm thankful for that. I praise the Lord for that, that I live in a country where I have the right to vote for who I want to see elected. And so this message really isn't about who you should vote for. But it's about how you should respond to those who have been voted in. So my message today is not an American sermon discussing American politics. Today's message would be a message for Christians everywhere, regardless of your nationality or your flag. See, I, what I want to look at today is how can we as Christians engage the civil government in a way that is both healthy and a way that is biblical. 
So we're going to start with Jesus. I think Jesus is a good place to start with any topic such as this. And so I was preparing, I was studying this past, past week, seeing what Jesus had to say on this topic. And I realized he has a lot to say about this topic. In fact, way more than I'd be able to talk about this morning. But there was one passage that really kind of just caught my eye. I couldn't move past it. And I wanted to share that with you today. It's from the Gospel of John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And we're in chapter 17. And, and in chapter 17, if you remember, Jesus is praying. Remember, this, this is an incredible prayer. And he's praying for his disciples. And this is right before he goes to the garden, before he's in the garden. And then he gets arrested, you know, tried, crucified. All that happens. But this is before that. And he's praying for his disciples. And he prays for his followers who are not of the world, just like he is not of the world. So his followers, and if you're a believer of Jesus Christ today, you are one of his followers. We were never meant to be of the world. Right? Does that make sense? We are never meant to be of the world, never meant to conform to the degrading culture in which we live. We are not of the world. Even today, I believe Jesus would say to you, hey, disciples, right? Pay attention. My followers, open your eyes. Look around you. Be aware of the darkness that exists. Remember, you are not of this world. That's not who you are. Don't let it take you down. Don't let this world define you. Don't be like the world. Follower of me. Do not be of the world, just like I am not of the world. I think it's a clear message that Jesus gives us. Part of me is like, okay, Jesus, you're telling me not to be of this world, but I got a question for you then, Jesus. What am I still doing here? Anyone else just cry out to the Lord sometimes, take me now. But he's not done, is he? He's not done. He says actually the complete opposite, doesn't he? He prays to the Father He says, I do not ask you, Father, to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. So he wants us to be in the world, but not of the world. Okay, Jesus, how do I do that? How do I be in the world like you want me to be in the world without conforming to the patterns of this world? How do I interact and engage with a world that is full of darkness, full of sin, full of corruption, but do it in a way where I'm still shining your light instead of just being like everybody else? Jesus, show me. I I believe what you're telling me, so show me how to do this. And praise the Lord, he does show us how to do this. He shows us in his word. See, Jesus, he, he is the perfect example, the perfect model of what it means to be in the world but not of the world. Don't you just love Jesus? Jesus is incredible. On the one hand, he's this humble citizen submitted to the religious and civil authorities placed over him. But on the other hand, Jesus has this passion to do the will of the Father. He is on mission. And his mission is to what? Do the will of who? Of the Father. Even when it didn't line up with what the authorities wanted him to do. See, he obeyed the higher laws of his Father and he was prepared to pay the price for his disobedience. You see that in the Scriptures, right? When you read Jesus, that's what you see. And I think the lesson that Jesus models is very clear. You submit peaceably to the human authority until doing so requires you to disobey a specific command of God. And in that case, your submission to God takes priority over your submission to secular authority. And that's what we believe. And I believe one of my most serious responsibilities as your pastor is to teach you what Jesus models us. To teach you how to balance, I would call it a tension. The tension that exists between faith and the demands of civil government. And so at Livestream, you're going to hear a clear message. 
Lifespring, submit to and pray for your governing authorities. Again, I love what Mayor Perry said. Pray for your governing authorities. This includes, by the way, paying your taxes. It's tax season. Pay your taxes. And as a believer, please pay your taxes with the fruit of the Spirit all over you. With love, joy, peace, patience. The, the complaining and the griping I hear amongst my Christian friends is embarrassing at times. Rejoice. Be a true Christian. Have the fruit of the Spirit being displayed at all times. Pay your taxes and honor basic laws. That is the message you're going to hear. Because as Christians and as a church in this community, we have an influence. <laughs> Did you know that? And it can either be good or it can be bad. We have a witness. And the witness can either be good or it can be bad. See, we want to be known as peaceable, law-abiding citizens whose character and conduct points to the power of Christ to tame our rebellious natures. If you're taking notes, just write down rebellious natures. That there's the power of Christ to tame our rebellious natures. Because all of us, within all of us, outside of Christ, we have a wickedness. Within all of us, we have a deceitfulness. We have a rebellious nature. And don't you know that nothing seems to stir up that rebellious nature like government? Right? Come on. I mean, you've seen the talk shows. You've watched the news channels. You've listened to the radio. And again, I've heard some of you talk. Nothing stirs up our rebellious nature like the government. But the power of Christ actually gives us the ability to submit to authorities. I'm not saying you're going to like it. But the power of Christ, again, the power of Christ, Jesus Christ in you, the hope of glory, gives you the power to submit to those authorities. And our witness to our community is amplified as we submit and pray for those that are over us. I strongly believe that. But with that being said, there are moments of tension that come along when the things that are being required of us by the authorities are grievous to God and they go against the commands of God and we cannot passively, passively submit to them. And in that case, my message and my challenge to you would be this. Follow God instead of human authority. Where I would tell you that obedience to civil government is a biblical virtue, but obedience to God is a higher virtue. Anyone squirming yet? Anyone ready to send my podcast to the FBI? (laughs) See, I love this topic because it forces us to live in the tension where we don't emphasize submission to authority to the point where you lose your ability to withstand real injustice or blasphemy. But I also make this clear. I also don't want to give permission to any of you with that untamed, rebellious spirit to defy civil authority any chance you get when you disagree with the law. See, neither one of those positions, blind submission or that rebellious attitude or spirit, is the posture that we as Christians are to have towards civil government. We must Not live on either side of the extremes, but live somewhere in the tension. So I want to help you. I want to help all of us walk through this topic. And so I have six principles that I want to give to you that I think will really help you as you walk through this relationship with civil government. Six principles. Think of these as guidelines. Think of them as a roadmap. A roadmap for navigating through this sometimes complex, sometimes heated issue. So if you're taking notes, number one. God's authority is supreme above all human government. You've got to get that one clear. God's authority is supreme over all human government. Daniel 2.21, he disposes kings and raises up others. Do you believe that? Daniel 4.17, the most high is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth. Number two, believers are first of all citizens of heaven and children of God. Do you believe that? First of all, we are citizens of heaven, children of God. 
Have you read the scriptures that talk about how we are foreigners? We're passer-throughs, right? We're not residents. We are strangers. We are aliens. Hebrews 11 says, looking and longing for a better country, a heavenly one. 1 Peter 2.9 This is you, child of God, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You are God's special possession that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Hallelujah. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. We've got to get that clear. First and foremost, we are God's people. Before I'm an American, before I'm a Washingtonian, before I'm that unincorporated King Countyan, I am a Christian. I am a Christ follower, one who has been bought with the precious blood of Jesus, adopted into the family of God, a citizen of his eternal kingdom. Amen? Amen. All right. But number three, while on earth we are to be submitted and peaceable toward those in authority whenever possible. Again, we are strangers. We are passers throughs. We are uh, aliens. We are not of this world. But while we are here, we are to be submitted and peaceable towards those in authority that are over us. Listen to Romans 13, 1 through 7. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right and you will be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For rulers do, bear the, do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. This is also why you pay taxes. For the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. First Peter 2, 13. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing so you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. I love that line. So live as free people. But do not use your freedom. This is good. Do not use your freedom as a cover up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God and honor the emperor. Titus 3.1 Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities to be obedient. To be ready to do whatever is good. So hopefully I've made the point. Submit and be peaceable to those in authority whenever possible. Number four, we are to endure personal injustice if doing so will help us win people to Christ. As I hang out with Christians, this idea is probably not one of the more popular teachings of Jesus. But if you want to be his disciple, buckle up. You're going to be treated unfairly. I want to say that again. As a disciple of Christ, you're going to be treated unfairly. Guess what? It tells us you're probably going to be wrongly accused. Here's a good one for you. You'll probably be persecuted. Even punished at various times because you are a believer. Alex, you know our electric guitar player, Alex, the really good looking one. 
His grandpa served over 10 years in Siberia in prison. Why? Because he was a Christian. Because he was a Christian. First Peter 4. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Matthew 5.38. You have heard it said, eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, Christian, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, Turn to him the other cheek also. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, guess what? You get to take your shirt off and hand him your coat as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, get your running shoes on because you're going to go too. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. First Peter two nineteen. For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious to God. Amen. But then number five. Sometimes a government becomes so unjust, oppressive, or blasphemous that conscience will not allow us to cooperate any further. And we must resist. And you see this in history, don't you? You've seen various times in history where it just cannot go any longer. You see this way back in the chapter, uh, book of Acts chapter 4. This is one of my favorite passages. If you talk to me, this is one that I reference a lot because it just fires me up. I could preach on this all year long. I want to read you a portion of this scripture in light of that principle. So the priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees, they came up to Peter and John. Peter and John, remember what they had just done right before this? What did they do? They, to, to a man, they did something to a man. What did they do? They healed him. That sounds like a good thing. Who would have a problem with that? But they are greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John because it was evening and they put him in the jail until next day. But many who heard the message believed. So the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. The next day, these rulers, the elders, the teachers of the law, they all gathered. They meet in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there. Caiaphas, John, Alexander, a lot of the high priest family were there. They had Peter and John brought before them and they began to just give them these questions. And they say, by what power or what name did you do this? And this should give you goosebumps because this is for every one of us. Then Peter, filled with the what? Filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, by whom God raised from the dead, that his man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Whoo! I mean, if I could have been anywhere, if I could have just had a front row seat to that. I mean, come on, fill with the Holy Spirit. He just, uh, woo. But look it. They take notice. Chapter 13, when they saw the courage of Peter and John, and they realized that these were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And again, this part gets me going. What, they, what, what was the difference? That they had been with who? They had been, this, these guys must have been with Jesus. And they could see this man that was healed standing right there before them, so they couldn't say anything about that. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and they conferred together. They got, some, they got a problem on their hand. The Sanhedrin has an issue. They're like, what are we going to do with these men? Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they've performed a notable sign. We cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further, here's their plan. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them, speak no longer to anyone 
in this name. Good idea, guys. Okay, so 18. Then they called them in again. They got their plan, right? And they command them. Do not speak. Do not teach at all in the name of Jesus. Before today's message, pay attention to 19. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes? To listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have heard. I love that. There's their plan. We're just going to tell them they cannot speak. They cannot teach in the name of Jesus. Peter and John, we command you not to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. Peter and John, as the Sanhedrin, we tell you, do not speak or teach in the name of Jesus. The response, verse 20, as for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and about what we have heard. Then number six, we must be willing to die rather than compromise on matters essential to our faith. Luke 9, for whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of his holy angels. Mark 13, but be on your guard for they will deliver you to the courts and you will be flogged in the synagogues and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them. The gospel must first be preached to all the nations. When they arrest you and hand you over, do not worry beforehand about what you're going to say. This is kind of the passage that we just heard. But say whatever is given to you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but who? The Holy Spirit. That's what you saw in Peter and John, isn't it? Brother will betray brother to death, and a father is child, and children will rise up against parents and have them put to death. You will be hated by all. Life spring, you will be hated by all because of my name. But the one who endures to the end, he will be saved. Luke 14, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. See, we see this incredible cost of being a disciple. Where it might even cost your life. And in the Bible, it's not just an idea. You actually see it played out, don't you, in the Bible? Again and again and again. People obeying God, people risking their lives in obedience to God. How many of the disciples out of the 12 were killed? Does anyone remember that? 11 of them. What happened to the other guy? He's cast off to an island. Remember that? Wow, what a track record. <laughs> I mean, wow. 11 out of 12. An incredible cost. Think about Moses. Remember Moses? He goes to the head honcho, Pharaoh. Oh dear. <laughs> what does he say? He says, let my, yeah, let my people go. You think he stuck his neck out for God on that one? You better believe it. Nehemiah, remember Nehemiah? He was the cupbearer for Artaxerxes, right? And he hears about the sad affairs in Judah. So he comes to the king and says, would you give me permission to go back and build the walls of Jerusalem? The cupbearer. <laughs> Can you imagine what that must have been like to stick his neck out like that? Esther? The story of Esther, incredible. There's this plot to kill the Jews in the Persian Empire. Esther sticks out her neck and she approaches the king. This is what the Bible says about it. She, it says, she, she says this. She says, I will go to the king even though it is against the law. I want to say that again. I will go to the king even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. When was the last time any of us said, if I perish, I perish. But I'm going to do what's right. And what does she do? Remember that story? She saves the Jewish people. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They won't bow down to this image of gold. They will not worship this image of gold. 
And so what happens to them? Whoop! Tossed into, it probably didn't sound like that when they were tossed into the burning furnace, but they were tossed into the blazing, fiery furnace. And then Daniel, one of my favorites. Don't you just love Daniel? We're going to do a series in Daniel pretty soon this year. Listen to this. All the commissioners of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the high officials and the governors have consulted together that the king, they've come up with this plan, that the king should establish a statute, statute and enforce an injunction that anyone who makes a petition to any god or man besides you, O king, for 30 days shall be cast into the lion's den. They're talking to King Darius. So, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that we may not be changed according to the law of Medes and Persians, which may not be revoked. So the document may not be changed. It may not be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document. That is the injunction. Now, when Daniel knew that the document was signed... He gave up on worshiping his God and never prayed to the Almighty ever again. This is incredible. Listen to the, the sequence of events here. When Daniel knew the document was signed, he knows it's signed. He enters his house. Now in his roof chamber, he had opened windows toward Jerusalem. And he continues kneeling on his knees Three times a day, praying and giving thanks before his God as he had done previously. Then these men, they came, they got him, right? By agreement, they found Daniel making petition and supplication before his God. And whoop, into the lions, then he goes. The Bible is full of story after story like these ones I shared. People willing to die for their faith. Not willing to compromise. Not willing to worship anything or anyone but their true God. And my prayer for us is that the same would be true of us. Right? The same would be true of us. That we would desire to be peaceable, law-abiding citizens. That our witness truly would be on how we love God and love one another and how we love this community. But as believers, we would also resist when laws forbid us from obeying God's clear commands. Just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Just like Daniel. If we're told to bow down to anyone but the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, I'm going to politely decline. If we are instructed to hail anyone but the Lion of Judah, I will remain silent. How about you? You know, as a college student, I studied Nazi Germany. I, I studied communist Russia. And I remember saying to God, God, if I am ever found to be in that kind of environment, let my faith be unwavering. Give me the strength to live without compromise, that I would hold fast to your teachings. God, that you would give me love for my enemy. Show me how to love my enemy to the end, that I would profess to them the good news of Jesus Christ. God, I remember saying this all the time. God, may I never be silent for your kingdom. And I haven't had to profess my faith to the Lord with a gun to my head. I haven't been threatened by beheading for my faith. But I pray that if I ever am, that I'd be steadfast in my love for God. That I would be constant in my love for my enemies. May I love my enemies to the end and unwavering in my profession of my faith. And you might be thinking, wow, you know, that's just a little too much for me, Dan. That's a little too intense. But it's not a Dan Burst thing. It's a Christian thing. It's a disciple thing. We are meant to stand firm in our faith. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news, even in the areas that are unreceptive to that news. You know, just do a quick Google search of the martyrs of the faith. We are standing right now on the shoulders of thousands upon thousands of martyrs who have gone before us, who loved Christ, 
who loved people. And they loved people, even their enemies. They loved them with a passion. And they loved them enough to preach the good news of the gospel, even laying down their lives for the cause of Christ and for this world. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, most of you are familiar with that name. He was arrested and he was killed by the Nazis. And he was a famous pastor. And he wrote this book called The Cost of Discipleship. Listen to what he writes. The messengers of Jesus will be hated to the end of time. They will be blamed for all the division which rends cities and homes. We see that happening right now. We're blamed for everything. Jesus and his disciples will be condemned on all sides for undermining family life and for leading the nation astray. Have you noticed that even us standing for one man and one woman being married and and having a family uh, that would be like that without divorce, that now pretty soon will be considered a hate crime probably for me to stand upon that kind of message and that kind of belief. But we will be leading the nation astray with that. It's your problem, you Christians. It's your problem and your beliefs and your ideologies. So disciples will be sorely tempted to desert the Lord. Unfortunately, we see this happening as well. But listen to what Bonhoeffer says. He says, but the end is also near. And you must hold on. And you must persevere until the end comes. Only he will be blessed who remains loyal to Jesus and his words until the end. That comes from a man who was eventually sentenced to die by the Nazis by hanging. And he's telling us the exact same thing the Bible tells us. 1 John 3, right? Do not be surprised, Christ follower, if the world hates you. They hate you because they hate Jesus. And they will reject you because they reject Jesus. And even though they might hate us, life spring, I want you to smile today. Because you are called to love them. That's what I love about Christians. I love that about being a Christian. Is in our passion, what does our passion cause us to do? It causes us to love people. Our, our sold out dedication to God, what does it cause us to do? It causes us to love people. They will know we are Christians by what? By our love. By our love. We are instructed by the Apostle Paul to live peaceable, quiet lives, working hard to preserve a good reputation in our community, avoiding conflict with the civil government as much as possible. But in that mission, do not forget that your true citizenship is in heaven and your first allegiance is to God. And when those two things come into opposition, like they did when Peter and John came up before the Jewish rulers and authorities, I pray that each one of us, in our own way, would be a Peter and would be a John before that Sanhedrin. They told Peter and John to stay quiet. They commanded them never to teach or preach in the name of Jesus again. And yet Peter and John, filled with the Holy Spirit, said, as for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. Even though the command was to be silent, they could not keep from sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. May that be said of us. You know, the Bible goes on to say some powerful things. It says, listen to this. This kind of gets me going. On their release, Peter and John, so they've just been commanded, right? Do not speak. Do not teach. Do not preach. Well, guess what they do? They go back to their own people and they reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. So they just start blabbering away right away. And then when everybody hears this, what do they do? They all hush and they're quiet and they lock the door and they say, maybe we just be silent. No, they raise their voices and they prayed to God. Verse 31, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God boldly. Uh, 
I don't want you to miss that. There is a message for every one of us in this room who profess Jesus Christ as your true Lord and Savior. They were filled with the Holy Spirit and because of the filling of the Holy Spirit, they were able to walk into a boldness and proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ with a boldness. You know, I would just encourage you, so whether it's a Democrat, a Republican, an independent in office, we will not let that shake us. We will not let that cause us to cower or to back down. We have a resolve as Christians. We are a people of truth, a people who love God, a people who love others, a people who love our enemies. We should be known. Our reputation should be that we love our enemies as ourselves, that we would be a people that would go into our schools, into our businesses, into our families, make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teach them all the commands of Jesus, that we would be a people who would tell a dying world that Jesus has come to rescue them, to save them, and to give them eternal life. You know, church, whether America looks like heaven or hell, whether America looks like it's in prosperity or poverty, whether we are in a season of peace or in war, I pray, and I'm saying at the individual level, I just pray that every one of us would not waver from the truth of God's word, that we would hold on, as Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, that we would hold on and that we would persevere until the very end. I want that for every one of us in this room. I want to read this one more time. We believe that the civil government is a divine appointment for the interest and good order of human society. All governors and rulers, they should be prayed for. That is a command to obey and uphold at all times, except for in things that are opposed to the will of the Lord Jesus Christ who is the ruler of the conscience of all people, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Lord, we pray right now for our government. We lift our voices to pray for the people that are governing us, Lord. We pray right now for our mayors. We pray for our governor. We pray for our president. We pray for the one that is over the Congress, Lord. We pray for the House. We pray for the Senate. We pray for those in our local government, on the city council, Lord. We pray for those that are in uh, Capitol and Olympia, Lord. We pray for those that are part of the bureaucracy, Lord. Would you encourage each one of them? We would encourage them, Lord, that you'd let us see them as people. Let us see them as people who are lost. Many of them who need a Savior. And for those that do know you, God, for those that do profess you as Jesus Christ, Lord and Savior, that they be stirred up once again, Lord, to be faithful to you, God. That they would love you and they would love others. We pray for those that do not know you, Lord, or once knew you and have wavered, that they'd come back to you today, Lord. Every one of them, Lord, in every position, that you would speak to their hearts. We pray that, Lord, that you would speak to our president's heart, Lord, that you would soften it, Lord, for the things that you would want him to lead us in. That you would, once again, just speak to him. That he would be able to do your will, Lord, and follow your commands in his life. We know that you have a plan for him. We know that you care for him. And we pray that you would soften his heart to hear your voice, Lord, and to do what you've called him to do. We pray that over our governor, Lord, that you would encourage him, Lord, that you would build him up in his fears and his anxieties and his worries, Lord, that you would speak once again your love over his life and that his heart would be broken for what breaks yours, Lord, and he would come into alignment with your perfect will. We pray for our mayor, Lord, and our mayors, Lord. We pray that you would encourage them again with the attacks, Lord, and the things that we know the enemy is doing, that we would say right now, no more in the mighty name of Jesus. Enemy, you must flee. The darkness has to flee when the light comes in and the light has come into this community. In darkness, you must flee. There is no room for you. You must be gone in the mighty name of Jesus. And I pray for each one of us, Lord, that we would learn, that we would grow in what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be someone who submits to authority, 
Some of us, we can't even submit to our mom or dad and, and, and we're, we just struggle with it. We have this rebellious nature. God, would we be on display? Would your power, the power of Christ be on display as we just submit that rebellious nature, Lord, to the authority of Christ? And as we submit to the authority of Christ, that out of that would flow a love for our community, a love, Lord, for the people that are in these positions of power. And also, Lord, that if there is a time when we are commanded to do something that we know is against your commands and, and something we just cannot do, that we cannot bow that knee, that we cannot profess anyone but you as our Lord and Savior, anyone else but you, God, the one true God, would you give us the strength and courage to stand? I also pray that you would fight on our behalf, but also that we would be able to stand and stand firm on you, Lord. And we would not compromise. We would not bow down. We would not cower. But in the love of God, the love of God that even loves our enemies, we'd be able to stand and say, God loves you. God loves you. God loves you. God has a plan for you. God has a plan for your life. Turn to God. Submit to God. And even if they don't, and even if they hate us, and even if they kill us, we know that we will never be snatched out of your hands. We are with you forever and ever and ever. Nothing could ever separate me from the love of God that is found in Christ Jesus. So we can walk boldly knowing that our future is set. Our future is secure. We have forever with you, Jesus. No one's going to scare me out of that. No one's going to threaten me out of that. No one's going to take me away from that. I am yours and yours are mine. And I'm going to celebrate that all the days of my life. So in your wonderful name we pray. Amen.